Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. This is episode number 68 of FIA Goes PC. And as always, I'm your host, Represent, aka Danny Howe. And just to keep it real, just to keep it real, this is lockdown week 10. Hopefully it's probably one of the last ones. And then we'll have our post lockdown review. Basically, we're all going to have prisoner syndrome. Like we're not going to be wanting to join the real world. Uh, we're quite happy with our fictitious world and sandcastles that we're building in a field. Um, yeah, yeah. The sheep aren't here. They've moved on. Uh, greener pastures. Uh, they're now playing sheepy poker somewhere else. So we're without sheep. So we've got no warmth at night. It's kind of like the desert at the moment. It's hot in the day, but at night it gets pretty cold. Uh, not super cold, but pretty cold. Like the kind of cold that wins a beauty pageant. That kind of cold. Uh, pretty cold. So giving me puzzled looks as always like a rubik's cube if a rubik's cube had eyes is our producer winifred say hello hello there you go see i miss the sheep yeah yeah but they have to get on with their uh, gambling addictions it's funny how they got out of lockdown before we did <laughs> yeah it's very annoying but they did they got sheep privileges uh sheep privileges but a lot's happened a lot's happened since we last talked to you uh, such things as SpaceX has launched its rocket. Mm, That's the big news. SpaceX has launched its rocket. It's the first ever time they've delivered courier packages to space. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk, what mm. a genius. Uh, not a rocket scientist by trade, has become one by nature pretty gnarly stuff mm. i'm not sure if he had any engineering hoo-ha on the spacex program or if he's just operating it with a bunch of geniuses it is in collaboration with nasa and hopefully we'll start seeing loads of corporations having a crack at building space rockets can you imagine a mcdonald's one that'd be amazing i'm not sure what you'd call it muck rocket <laughs> rocket and a happy meal i'm not sure what do you think about space tourism do you think it's gonna take off i mean it could uh i mean it could there's there's there's, there's definitely a launch pad for, for it huh <laughs> launch pad. would you go to space for a holiday would i go to space for a holiday i mean it's perpetual darkness i'm a big fan of that uh <laughs> you could say my soul is a little bit you know on a nocturnal side um i'd get bored to be mm. honest i mean unless it was like a cruise ship in space which i think just thinking about how much that'd cost would be an issue star trek type starfleet ship kind of thing that'd be interesting but i don't think it'll be like that i think it'll be like a couple of hours um and then you have to land I wouldn't like it. I'm not a massive fan of uh, flying. Really hurts your shoulders. Um, <laughs> you could do it on a plane, I suppose. I've never tried to do that. Um, I, I've got a feeling 
it's not my cup of tea. I mm. think the risk assessment is something for me that I wouldn't be happy about. Um, and it, I, I, I'm not sure what the reward would be. Mm. I think it'd be a really novel thing for a couple of hours. But if you're up there for weeks, I think you'd actually be really traumatized. Maybe. Yeah. I'm intrigued by the whole zero gravity experience. But considering we can simulate it on Earth. With fans. With fans. <laughs> you can do the rotating yeah. thing or the uh, anti-grav chambers they yeah, have yeah, at NASA. Yeah. It's not really open to the public that. I'd I rather think, do that than like actually go to space. Well, I think that's what everyone should have done in lockdown. I think we should have all had an anti-gravity chamber where we could have been floating around. We had it for a bit in our intergalactic <laughs> space station, so I'm not sure why we're talking like we haven't done it. I guess we're just not trying to show off uh, too much. But being someone that has been to space, um, and as I said to you before we started a podcast, it is my favorite key on a keyboard, space. Space bar. It's great, yeah. The space bar. Can mm. you imagine if that was a thing? Floating drinks that mm -hmm. you've just had on earth but they're floating make a cocktail so and then make a bubble and just i think the big thing that put me off space vacationing mm. is the food which is all freeze-dried yeah you know because yeah. i've actually you can buy that stuff if you ever go to uh, cape canaveral right which is where the rocket launched from in florida mm -hmm. or probably houston back in the day when they did the tours the uh, tour center they still have that going on now mm. Uh, now it's an active space station again, though. That makes it more exciting. You're going to see a lot of people rushing to do that the minute that they can. Um, but basically, I think you could get samples. Yeah. It was all the nicest stuff. Like, I think I remember when I went strawberry milkshake or something like this. Like in a tube. It's kind of like a pallet. Right. In a vacuum foil sealed pack. Mm. Um, way back then it was. But there was weird stuff. Like uh, they had some kind of Alfredo pasta. I remember that. Yeah, just add water kind of stuff. But they, uh, that was, you know, the uh, tiny pellets of ice cream? Oh, yeah, like, um, nitri like nitrogen. nitrogen. Yeah, nitrogen ice cream. The... So you got like your strawberry, your vanilla, and your chocolate, yeah, and they're like yeah. little pellets mm -hmm. of um, tiny ball bearing ice cream, really, is oh, the best way cold. to explain it. I remember it. it when it first came out in well, the 90s. The first time I'd ever seen it was uh, in cape canaveral in florida and i actually have a memory of being in cape canaveral uh where we got there i mean when you're a kid the distance to go from say we were in Kissimmee at the time which if you're a floridian you'd know what i'm talking about so we're in the orlando sort of area mm. Kissimmee is its own town but it's close to orlando and we had to get up at the uh stupid time in the morning to drive all the way down south to get to cape canaveral which is really south, okay? Yeah. By the time we got there, because it's all packaged, you get to the place, and the first thing you do is go to the canteen they have there and have breakfast. And my distinct memory of it was that they didn't cut my eggs long enough. So uh, I wanted my <laughs> money back. I was done at that point. You like your eggs really well done, though. I like everything cooked to a <laughs> primeval <laughs> level. Yeah, I don't believe in... You know how all the chefs in the world are like, well, you got to have this, but it's got to be, like, rare inside? Mm. You know, like a carrot. You can, you can have what? it... Yeah, like, juicy and rare inside. Like, But a carrot's solid, isn't it? So you can't do it with a carrot. But you, all your meat choices, you know, and I don't eat a lot of meat. Um, I hunt a lot of it, you know, with a spear. But I don't eat it. 
I'm sort of the hunter-gatherer type. <laughs> Where I do the hunting, I gather it up, and it's someone else's problem then. Uh, it's just so I can get away with a lot of, uh, you know, cannibalism and that. Uh, you but, don't like a medium steak then? I mean, like, I can handle it to a point. There's a story about that, and I'm just going to name drop um, my sister from another mister out in California, Lisa, mm-hmm. works with Nobu. I've told you this before. And Nobu is the kind of place people know about it in America. You know what I mean? It's a big, yeah. big thing. There's chains coming around as well, but it's a huge, it's, you know, it's one of the big restaurants of America. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've got one in Hong Kong, I think. Yeah. I think there's one in London as mm-hmm. well, but basically, um, Japanese fusion yeah. for anyone who doesn't know. And Lisa managed, she does this with a lot of her best mates or in a circle. She'll take them to Nobu and she'll do like, say the uh, sous chef will cook your sample dishes and the quality is so good. And there the steak was pretty much rare. Mm. In that case, you don't argue. You just go yeah, get on with it. Once in a lifetime, no beer experience. You're not going to say, nah, cook it yeah. longer. You know, you're just going to take it as it is. It was amazing. Yeah. It really was. By preference, I don't like my meat raw to be honest. Unless it's sushi. Well, so I've had actually had uh, raw beef sushi in the past. Mm, yeah, like carpaccio Wagyu. kind of thing. Yeah, um, no. Carpaccio is in a slightly vinegar you kind of thing. You consider that thing. raw then. It is raw, but it's cooked in a sense because of the vinegar. Yeah. So the acid's cooking it, okay? Yeah. That's why they do it, buddy. But this was raw, raw. This mm. was like raw on rice. I mean... You know, the thing to try. <laughs> the thing I want to just put out there as a pretext whilst we go from space to food, and that's how amazing we are, is don't try sushi at home unless you get sashimi-grade fish. Mm-hmm. Or you've just caught the fish, not from the supermarket with a fishing rod, as I like to do it, because you're guaranteed to catch something. It's not a disappointment. You just stand on the rafters of any supermarket with a fishing rod, you're guaranteed to get fish at some point, okay? It's usually packaged as well, so you don't even have to worry about dressing it. It's all there, it's done, okay? But, I've started to sound like Donald Trump, sorry, I apologise, America. Okay? Um, But what I'm saying is, you need really fresh stuff. Like, it's got to come from the ocean, cut, done, whatever. Or deep frozen straight away, like they do with the bluefin. Tuna, uh, which is yeah, the most sought-after sushi in the world. that's on sale. because Yeah, well, this is the thing that really baffles me, okay? I've got a very proud Japanese connection. Okay, my auntie is Japanese. Noriko, hello. And basically, I'm proud of the heritage of that. I've had martial arts experience in, in Japanese martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture has always been ingrained in my life. So it bothers me a lot, and I'm sure it would bother a lot of Japanese people when you see supermarkets doing low-grade sushi kits and stuff like this in England. It's great that the culture's shared, yeah. but of course it's not fresh enough. That's the thing that I'm trying to say to people. There's a lot of people who are going to go, well, I was going to cook for my girlfriend, and I thought I'd do something sophisticated like sushi where the cooking is very minimal. The only (laughs) thing you really have to do is the rice, and that takes 30 years to get right, so good luck with that. Um, But basically, sorry, I'm on a tangent. But basically, what I'm trying to say is 
getting fish from the supermarket and doing it at home really risky because you just don't know how long a fish has been on yeah. display for. It's definitely not sashimi grade. Mm-hmm. When you go to Japan, however, in Tokyo, it's easy. It's easy to do. It's it's not easy to do. It's a skill set that most people don't have. But you can even just get a plate full of sashimi straight off the counter. Yeah, the standards are very different. Yeah, very different. Um, I just think that that's a good point to a lot of people, unless you're cooking stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, in a lot of Western territories, especially America, they have monster sushi, like sushi that's like these rolls, where oh, they yeah. basically put everything in it, like a dragon roll or something like this. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, noticing in Tokyo, there's minimal stuff like that. It is definitely not as exotic and it doesn't have seven to five ingredients going on. Japanese food to Japanese people is basic done in extremely advanced level. And so uh, sushi is a very basic but incredibly refined art form. Okay, When America does it, it's almost like, well, what else can we throw in this? We've got a bit of, uh, you know, half a pound of crab in it. So we might as well chuck a lobster tail on it. <laughs> and it's just, it's very complex. Yeah. It's really good. The Californian sushi experience, and there's other nations as well. <laughs> nations of sushi in America. That's what I call them. Uh, but the California style roll is what we know in the experience. It's still pretty good. It's just a whole different culture. It's not very Japanese by that mm-hmm. point. But that's what food's all about. It's about growing and learning. I'll tell you one thing. It wouldn't be good freeze-dried on a space no, station. No, it wouldn't be good in a tube. No. Tube no. sushi. Ugh. Well, I think tube <laughs> tube food in space is rare, if at all, because it's all freeze-dried pallets. It's no, the, the closest... Like packets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, right? it's freeze-dried vacuum sealed in mm. foil. still is. And it's, it's freeze-dried because you can't essentially have anything fluid. You know, um, toothpaste probably, is an exception. That's probably one of the things they're going to have to tackle before actually developing the vacations. Because if you're paying that much... I don't think a vacation will ever be longer than a couple hours. I think it'll be a fly-up, hit the atmosphere, have uh, zero gravity for a bit, and a fly-down. It'll be kind of the Virgin one that they were planning. It was basically a high-altitude plane. Mm. with no seats in it or something and you get to that area and you're all floating yeah and then it comes straight down to have a space vacation say on a space station like we had the intergalactic one that's only (laughs) that's not really a vacation we had to do loads of stuff when we were up there you know we had to do science experiments one of the science experiments we had to do was like grow oregano to see if it would grow in space yeah yeah oregano is a herb by the way not a place in america with a similar name the state of oregon yeah which sounds like a chemical on a periodic table but it's not because that's elements man i'm really good at catching people out i should actually be like a, a, a examiner i reckon i'd be a good examiner what did you come in for hearing infection well how's your maths i could do loads of exams think about that you could mix it up See, doctors are worried because, you know, when all this stuff fades away, a lot of people have to return to work. A lot of people have been laid off around mm-hmm. the world in lockdown in, in the NHS and private practices and stuff like that. Been laid off. Okay. No, aren't they still working? There's a lot that are still working, but there's a lot that have been laid off because they've got symptoms or whatever. Some people are working at home and they develop these crazy new ways to sort of 
be a GP from home. Right. So you do like Skype conversations. Online, yeah. yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But one thing you could do is you could have a doctor grade in students. Because doctors are fairly smart people. Okay. And they've got like knowledge in other areas. So they could grade your maths GCSEs. Again, if you're in America, your SATs, for example. And they could also examine your eyes at the same time. Or your hearing or your nose or anything. So it's like a multi-exam. Or they could take out for a car exam. I wonder if that's going to be done by a webcam. That would be an amazing well, one. A driving test. Yeah, driving exams. Because basically you'd have like a dashboard camera and uh, they'd have the controls at home where they could stop the car yeah. by the second brakes and stuff like this. When we go full electric, this stuff will be possible. I think when everyone goes the electric route and say Tesla cars, we were talking about Elon Musk earlier, if Tesla cars become a standard, mm -hmm. it might be possible to have a remote driving test. I also think it'd be possible to do a VR one mm. in the future. Although, to be fair, we probably don't need driving tests when um, cars are totally automated, <coughs> which uh, they're kind of testing at the moment. Well, essentially, if you get a fully automated car, there's going to be a fail safe where you'll have to pick it up in yeah. case something breaks, yep. which would probably be a default. Mm -hmm. Then we're living in the fifth element. Great film. Bruce Willis. It's now a classic vintage film. Mm -hmm. A lot of films that I grew up with are now considered vintage. Yeah. It's very scary. You're vintage. Well, see, the thing is, I still had black and white movies in my lifetime. <laughs> okay? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we grew up with the era, so we had, like, a lot of the Wild West stuff from the 70s or the mm -hmm. 60s was played and replayed. Uh, so we knew the culture of black and white. There was a lot of reference into it. In fact, the first TVs in the field that I'm in, when it was a house before we blew it up, I'm not going to tell you how we did that, but it was uh, basically we we're trying to launch our own space rocket. It didn't work out. The first TVs we had were black and white when I was a kid. So color has a very deceptive control when you haven't lived that and you have color TVs and that's all you know. Mm -hmm. Films lose that vintage, kind of true vintage style because unless you're a film student going back to, say, Citizen Kane or... You know, even The Godfather, which is like just coming into like the technical realm or Gone with the Wind or something like this. You're used to color. So obviously black and white movies now are considered stylist. And uh, I don't know, the hipster movies, you know, when they do a black and white movie this day and age. One of my favorite films is black and white. Great. Not sure what to say about that. Well, <laughs> Clerks was. Because uh, Kevin Smith couldn't afford to do Clerks You're, you're with not going to ask me what film it is? Uh, I'm, you're not interested. I'm, I'm sure it's a film <laughs> that's black and white. I feel so unimportant. Well, okay, so what is it? 12 Angry Men. Yeah, that that that's, that is a vintage film. It is. The Very original good film. One. The, the original, original yes. The original one. The one that wasn't uh, remade by Disney and turned into a musical. What? 12 Angry Fish. No. <laughs> the, uh, it's the prequel to Finding Nemo. They were well angry back then. And then they had to find Nemo. It chilled them all out. Everyone knows that story. Nemo is a Pixar film, right? One yeah. of the early ones. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they found him, kids, just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Took a few films, though. He didn't turn into sushi, but it's no. okay. Yeah, that's it's all interesting. Um, But basically, like, black and white films, well, you know, they, you've had stylistic nods. Schindler's List was yeah. one of them. Mm-hmm black and white's kind of a thing that's either used 
in a time lapse or a kind of vintage nod or yeah. something like this, or a hipster film like an indie film. Kevin Smith, when he did Clerks, famous uh, director in the nineties, for breaking the trend and winning the uh, cans. He won a few cans, uh, basically in a raffle, um, <laughs> and he won that. Kevin Smith did Clerks, which was a film centralized around a convenience store and in the USA. And basically, he had to shoot that in black and white because he couldn't afford a color print. Because mm -hmm. filming color is expensive, okay, when it's not digital. Actual film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I said, there's kids listening to us right now, and it sounds like we're talking dinosaur technology. <laughs> but there is, I mean, people still use it. IMAX uses film yeah. reel to reel and stuff like this. But it's a lot less used because digital, mm -hmm. a lot more cost effective. And yeah, it's just an interesting world because like I said, we've grown up at our sort of age range is that we've passed through the technology. Yeah. We know life without mobile phones. Uh, we've talked about that before. We know life without internet. We also know the origins of internet mm -hmm. and we know what internet used to look like yep. when it was mostly an AOL base server and <laughs> OutVista instead of Google and Man, MSN what a different Messenger. world. My, uh, what was it, Napster instead of iTunes? Yeah. Yeah. And Microsoft at the time was not even a thing. You know, uh, Apple bounced back years later because of Steve Jobs. There you go, kids. It's a history lesson. Didn't think we'd have a history lesson. <laughs> Weirdly, though, there was more frequent space rocket launches in those periods of time. A lot more space shuttles were going into space in that era. Mm. Strange, man. Strange. So it's been a very nostalgic, weird sense. There's been a lot of stuff happening that's nostalgic. The space rocket, off it goes. Mm. Uh, people starting to come out of this lockdown. You're getting a sense of it throughout Europe. Europe being fenced off from each other is quite nostalgic. Mm. Haven't seen that since, you know, post-World War II. <laughs> but, it's <laughs> but it's happening again. So, you know, like Greece is opening up, but it's not opening up to tourism. So it's just the Greek people that it's opening up to. Italy, Spain rolling into a kind of lockdown uh, relaxation. The Bundesliga is back in yeah. Germany. Uh, that's football, not soccer. Don't even know why it's called soccer. No one's ever explained to me why it's called soccer. It's called football. Just putting it out there. Hi, everyone. Uh, but we're, we're starting the Premier League. Uh, that's looking like it's going to happen as soon as maybe this week. Mm. who knows we're in june we've had a local derby it? for the best part of eight months or something yeah. stupid it feels <laughs> in fact it was weird because i was thinking the other day you know this premier league season we were watching in hong kong we mm. were watching in tokyo yeah that seems like a billion years ago like that we were in a different country what <laughs> kids are gonna grow up and then what you went to a different country how we flew how you can't fly it hurts your shoulders but you can <laughs> um all i'm saying is like it's been a hell of a football season yeah. very long my team and i'm going to say this to anyone who's not really knowledgeable about the premier league in america or around the world just bear with me my team hasn't won a premier league title since the conception of premier league and the last league title we won was 30 years ago roughly just to put that into context one of the most successful teams in the sport because it's in the top 10 mm -hmm. of english football always has been yeah, we're, we're the team that's won the most european championships mm -hmm. in the champions league and yet we've never won this league so the year that we 
absolutely had one hell of a season where we've been undefeated for the best part of a season, okay? Not lost any league games until recently. We started having a trend. We're two games away from a win. There's nine games of our season left. Just to put that in context for people listening, okay? Just a footnote for anyone joining us. Danny's team is Liverpool, which we haven't mentioned. Well, no, I'll, I'll, I was mentioning I was going to do the uh, big finale with it. Oh. So basically, I'm just setting it up. Because there's a lot of people who don't really care, and that's fine. But it's very important. This is like, I think in football equivalents, this is as big as the Chicago Bulls six-time championship big for us as a club. This is a huge deal. Because we've broken all the records this year. Mm. And it was like, oh, we're in a flow. It's amazing. Two games away from a title. And then we have this global lockdown situation. So not only are you going to remember this as a hugely historical event for our football club, you're going to remember this as the only time in history any league has been postponed. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with a lot of clubs around the world in American sports. Uh, and, you know, Australia is probably had interruption. All throughout Europe, there's definitely been interruption. Brazil and stuff like this. It's just really weird. You could literally start a conspiracy theory on that alone. You could. Yeah, but we won't because that's boring. So <laughs> what, what we're going to do... Just say, the great city of Liverpool, okay, there are few places on earth where a sport team has such a significant foothold in a city. Presence. Yeah. Relevance. Really is the icon of the city. Mm -hmm. And it's to the chagrin of our local rivals, Everton, mm -hmm. who are literally, and this is another weird thing. Imagine if you were Chicago. And you had two team franchises, yeah, like the Chicago Bulls and let's say the Chicago Donuts. And the Chicago <laughs> Bulls were the alpha team. Yeah. They're the team that everyone knows about. But the Chicago Donuts had been in Chicago a lot longer than Bulls. Yeah. By a lot longer, I mean three years, which in football terms or basketball terms or American football terms or hockey terms is a lifetime because you've always got a gloating factor. Mm. We were here before you, that kind of thing. Yeah, we yeah. were here five minutes before you. And then you've turned up. You're the new We're guys. We're the original. Right. Mm -hmm. So imagine, if you will, that that new team steals all your glory, becomes a better team, has the more victories for a longer period of time. All right. And then roll on the clock almost the same length that America has been America, 200 plus years. And you come with that rivalry, you know. So our first game back is with Everton. Now, this is huge. This is a big deal because we've been waiting to have our local derby <laughs> for months. Months, you know? Anyway, I'm just saying, if for the American context, it'd be like having two franchises in the same town mm -hmm. in that, that regards because America's so massive. You don't really find that. And it, you don't really find that in the UK. It's so close next to each other. I think the only other cities would be London, obviously. They've got about 12 football teams mm -hmm. in, in top divisions. Yeah, We have in Birmingham here, locally to this field that we're in, we have two close together, Aston Villa and Birmingham. Yeah. But they're always situated at a pretty big distance. It's, but yeah. in Liverpool, they're like literally across the park from yeah. each other. <laughs> so it's, it's a very amazing thing. Rivalry. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And most people know Liverpool, obviously, from the Beatles. Mm -hmm. They know certain historical facts about Liverpool. It's an incredible place. The Irish connection there is ridiculous. 
it's kind of a vintage city in a sense. It's got the, you know, it's got the pride of the north. A lot of northern cities are like what England was when I grew up mm. here, mm-hmm. you know. And then you get to Scotland, and it's just Scottish. <laughs> okay. Glasgow's having a massive boom, you know. Yeah, it's becoming quite hip. Ever since it's been in those those uh, those there Marvel movies. Those there Marvel. Uh, I mean, featured in those there Marvel movies. Which one? Uh, Endgame. Okay. Okay, so for the folks who are listening who are a massive fan of Marvel and saw Avengers Endgame, it opens up with a vision, Paul Bethany, and a Scarlet Witch in a city called Glasgow, which is in Scotland could be infinity war i'm second guessing myself but it was one of them i think it was infinity war scratch the end game man it was infinity war so basically that opening section was in glasgow right and it did so much for the city mm. the city suddenly you know it's blossoming it's, it's coming for resurgence if you're a fan of comedy one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time Billy Connolly, who's recently retired from stand-up comedy because he's got Parkinson's, which is a massive loss. Mm-hmm. Totally not been really televised as a significant thing, probably because he wanted to underplay it. Yeah. But he's now doing art. He's now painting and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool, man. But Glasgow is basically a little like Birmingham. It has a really kind of dark background where people wrote it off. But it's coming under uh, a huge renovation and very exciting, man. Scotland's quite exciting right now, actually, mm. all in all. The only thing that we hope for Scotland is they finally get sun. <laughs> okay. Because if you've ever been to the UK, you'll notice that Scotland always has the worst kind of weather that we can give. And that says a lot because you could be in any town in the UK and go, my God, how do they live this? <laughs> but Scotland has it worse. Mm-hmm. But it's worth a check, man. It's worth a it's worth a crack, especially if you want to protest because Donald Trump's got a golf course up there. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh he's got loads, you know. Yeah, 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 yep, 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 yep. Here's a guy who just whacks balls and chases after him in a cart. Mm. Never really understood that. Golf. Yeah. Golf. Well, it's like a, it's like drive-by shooting range, isn't it? <sighs> it is, man. It is. Yeah. No, it's a good game. I've I uh, used to play it in Southport in the north mm. when I was a wee kid, and uh, it's the only game because we we were never allowed on the links. I know the terminology, man. I'm super cool. Uh, we were never allowed on the, the links, as in to play around a golf, right? Uh, because uh, we were kids. I had Wing Chun wrists, which is a real condition. Wing Chun wrists, folks, is when you've practiced a martial art that relies wrist movements you have really strong wrists mm-hmm. so whenever i play anything that involves you hitting anything with a stick uh, <laughs> and a ball you would literally be playing a game of where the hell did that go if you're me right so i was bad at tennis in that regard because mm-hmm. i would basically be trying to get like uh, a home run yeah in tennis you know like sky in that <laughs> thing right. knocking out on satellites that kind of a deal <laughs> Uh, and then golf was the only game that could tolerate yeah. my insane wrist strength. We went to a shooting range when I was in Southport, my buddy Dave, who's now in Liverpool, who you've heard me mention quite a lot on this here podcast. But um, yeah, like driving range is pretty cool because you just basically smack balls 
it's very good for stress relief. And it's interesting to me because that in principle is kind of up there with how you've got the Korean and Japanese trend of baseball courts mm -hmm. where you're just basically whacking balls. Yeah. Like for practice. Yeah. Just practices. Great stress reliever. So I think, you know, hitting things with sticks is a solution. <laughs> yeah. That'll smash in plates if you're Greek. It's interesting stuff, golf. Uh... But have you noticed that people who are playing it, they're not known to be the uh, alpha athletes, are they? There are a lot of retired athletes playing golf. Yeah. There's a lot of celebrities playing golf. Yeah. And then there's Donald Trump. I think it's quite an expensive sport. Definitely expensive sport because all the clubs uh, that you need to play a game and stuff like that. And don't usually... you need like a membership to like Yeah, you play? need a membership for a club, uh, yeah. clubhouse, a golf club. Uh, you can go there as guests. You can be that guy, a freeloader, who's constantly going, hey, you, you've got a golf membership, can I come? And do you have any clubs that I could borrow? You can be that dude. Um, but it's also very complex because each club, you get like, you know, a caddy with like, there's loads of clubs. Yeah. And different types and they do different things. And that's the sort of thing that's really appealing to a chef, mm. isn't it? Well, like different knives for different Yeah, exactly. Purposes. You should be, you should play all different saucepans or whatever. Because you've got different, uh, uh, yeah, right. you know, it's really a passionate s sport. It is a sport, uh, allegedly. Uh, to me, it feels like a uh, monopoly that you're in with a club and you hit things. You know, because I want to control the entire area. And it's also a really, really good use of countryside. Mm. Not that we've got other things we could do like farming. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just think it, it is a great, it's a great pastime. The reason I say sport is because I've never known a sport that you travel from places by car mm. in between it. It's so chilled out and yet it's got like this competitive edge to it, which it's, is kind of paradoxical. It's an amazing thing to play because yeah. the control and the elements, the angles, it's kind of like playing snooker in an extreme way. Because it is very much a mathematical game. It's, I think that's a good comparison, yeah, Snooker. You have to understand uh, everything about climate change, like which wind <laughs> yeah. is coming in a direction. Can you make use of a tornado to get a hole in one? Trajectories. Uh, never understood the fact that a birdie isn't about killing a bird. I thought it was. I thought you were meant to aim at the pigeons. <laughs> and I was told it isn't. Uh, you actually have a place called the rough in it, and you don't want to be there. The rough? The rough. So you can knock a ball into the rough. Okay. And if you do that, you basically get into a mosh pit with a bunch of yobs <laughs> and they beat the hell out of you. And you might get your ball back, you might not. But it's got everything in the golf course. It's got sand, it's got water, it's got forest, it's got rough. A lot of yobs. But watching it is one of the most painful experiences I think you can have in television. Mm. Unless you're an... It's, golf is this sort of thing that it's like wine. It brings out the nerds. Mm. So it's a massive geek culture. Yeah. But it is a sport. It's a very calculated sport, a very intellectual sport. Not sure why Donald Trump plays it. You'd imagine Donald Trump more of a kind of a destruction derby kind of a guy or mm. a, a monster truck. Maybe he's got a side that we just don't know about. Well, we know about it because he's quite affluent, like he likes to play golf. But we just didn't know that he's, you know, intellectual in any way, shape or form, especially what he says in public. 
But maybe it's all an act. Yeah? Maybe. Maybe. Just don't know. He plays golf a lot. But I think it is, uh, you know, it's a very cool game. Very competitive. Mm-hmm. A lot of internal uh, gambling on a golf course yeah, as right. well. Yeah. I think that there's better ways of doing stuff. For example, I would do it around a sea mass. A what? So it's a sea mass. Just bear with me. So you're on an island surrounded by the water. So instead of having a golf cart, which are lame, electric, not in a good sense. They're not like a Tesla. Maybe if Tesla redesigned them, they'd be amazing. But instead of that, you get on the jet ski, right? And so you got two sports in one, and you have to go through hoops to get to the different greens. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And then the other way of doing it is in between holes, you play poker, right? And that poker game sets the handicap for the other person. So if you win, you get a handicap. So it's like a mini game within the game. Yeah. Handicaps in golf are a good thing, which is interesting. They're a good thing. They're a good thing. Yeah. Because you've got to know what your handicap is at the end of the game. And if it's if it's better than your opponent's, you're a better player. It's also invented by a Scottish person. I don't understand person. it. Did you know that? Really? It's a Scottish game. Oh. Yeah. But they don't have the weather for... Oh, they do. St. Andrews is one of the big places to go and play golf which Mm. is in scotland makes perfect sense to me because in scotland golf's a completely different game how is it different well you've got number one you've got the worst weather in the uk arguably europe arguably the world and you have to play in those conditions in a kilt Mm. nonetheless it's definitely very scottish when you think about it (laughs) consider that yeah and the more times you hit a ball the worse you are at the game. Yeah, I understand that bit. Yeah, so when I was playing it like snooker and I thought you had to pot it, <laughs> I was uh, throwing off the uh, the links. But yeah, no, uh, it's an interesting thing. One of my childhood friends, Matthew, across the road here in the other field that's opposite this field, his dad had made a kind of golf course in his garden because they've got loads of fields in this place of fields. And they made it, and we had a crack at that, but I think I only did that once before I was banned for life because you kept hitting my history of just far. trying to knock satellites out of the atmosphere. <laughs> Very dangerous. Like I had a really embarrassing story when we are in San Diego. Now, if you're American from San Diego, you know there's a place called Coronado. It's an island off San Diego, and on it is a hotel. That's okay. pretty much all there is on it the hotel del coronado just so you know where you are and it's a hotel and they have a proper professional tennis court which of course as tourists you're still allowed to use you hire out the stuff and use it but it's used as a training center for some of their best tennis players right all right and a couple of ours and a couple of other people's and some from mars go there quite a lot now i played this with my dad and as you know my dad's a business guy, very straight edge, you know, conservative and all this stuff. Basically, it's like playing tennis with a head teacher. <laughs> and what my dad thought was that I would have control because he's seen me play basketball and stuff like this. He used mm-hmm. to play for my city and my school. And he thought, yeah, he's kind of, he'll get it. He's not going to embarrass me. 
I was knocking balls outside of a cage. They have a cage. Yeah. To stop balls. Yeah. I was knocking it through the cage, outside the cage, into people's soup. You broke the in cage? In the cafe. I didn't break it. I just knocking it through the holes. Oh, so, so you know how you've got the holes. America, right? Bringing it up to your head, right? Yeah. And people in America are going to be like, how's this exotic? It's our, it's our world. When you're in a playground or something, they have fences. Mm -hmm. You see that kind of mesh steel yeah. wire that they have in the elimination chamber if you're wrestling with them, <laughs> right? Same stuff, but it's professional, so it's galvanized. It's a lot thicker. Yeah. I was smashing balls through the holes mm. at like, probably 150 miles an hour i'm not even joking they were going into the restaurant below landing in people's bowls of soup oh to the point where management told us to leave and i had to go with my dad <laughs> to the headmaster's office <laughs> and face the wrath uh, of being told what are you doing you're ruining people's dinner i mean this is an exclusive place very high-end place okay and i'm just whacking balls at them you know it's interesting because british i i always felt growing up here that our sports personalities mm -hmm. in the olympics or something like this bar a few of them who are legendary but even our gold medalists they don't have the same pizzazz as the americans or the russians or you know even the chinese now are emerging they don't have the same street credibility we always seem to be the guys that just won it <laughs> through sheer miracles we're like the cool runnings jamaican bobsleigh team we're uh, we're those guys just getting there is a hell of an achievement mm. everyone's got no expectation this is the thing we shout for our teams we're passionate about our teams like yep. super passionate especially in football in the world cup but we always seem as a nation to be like why are we here we don't belong here this is like someone won a gold medal why we, we just have this really big issue with success. We just don't, it's not in our vocabulary. Mm. It's probably because we're a small island, right? Interesting thing. You never expect the psychotic kind of flamboyant British athlete to be smashing balls at a thousand miles an hour through fences into your soup. I was that guy. So I feel like I am to tennis what Vinnie Jones who is now known as an actor in Lockstock, Two Spoken Barrels of Snatch, etc., is to football, i.e. a yob that should never be allowed to play that sport. Now, here's the thing. We did baseball, but in the UK, we call it rounders, and it's a lot more pathetic, and there's no onus to get home runs. In fact, there's no home runs. Mm. Basically, the Americans took rounders. They pumped it full of uh, testosterone. They threw a couple of fireworks up its butt, and they said, go crazy, right? <laughs> and basically, you're just having guys smashing this stuff, going like spinning weird pitches that they're doing all these spin ball effects stuff. And they're knocking things into the orbit to get home runs. And then they run like yeah. lunatics. Rounders is almost like you have a smaller bat. The ball isn't hard. So there's no intimidation factor. There's obviously no guards. You're basically throwing sponges at people. When that beanbag flies out and you just clock it, you're meant to just sort of tap it. <laughs> like that, right? And off you go running. Well, here's the thing. We used to play rounders, which is like softball to an American, okay? Sure. Or Japanese or Korean, if you listen. And 
I think we probably did that as guys. It was usually the girls that played it. It was kind of like this weird division of gender games when we were in school because we were classic. Kind of like netball as opposed to basketball. Yeah, Yeah. basketball. There was gender-defined sports, folks. I'm not sure if that still exists. It probably does, okay? But that actually has a reason because Mm. you'd brutally injure girls if you were trying to play certain games and like full contact games like football. You'd hurt them quite severely in america they don't care they consider football a mixed gender game that you play as kids they don't consider an adult game that's a highly competitive sport the major league soccer in the u.s still hasn't got the traction of anything in europe Mm. it's trying or mexico or south america the world sees what football is except for the usa and canada okay maybe australia because they've got their own rules which is basically they punch you and eat you halfway through the game and they throw you know koalas at you and it's quite a bloody sport bloody sport mate but in america it's kind of the nancy pantsy your kids play it right Mm. which is stupid because they're missing on a trick and it can be volatile there's a lot of injuries in football it's not an easy game to play but they kind of put in that gender specific thing netball is a good example of that Volleyball is even a good example of that, you mm. know. But field hockey was the other one, and rounders was the other one. That's yeah. usually the girls play that stuff, okay? The guys don't get involved. When we were younger, we'd all mix it up a bit more than we did when we were in high school, for example. So by the time we got to field hockey, now rounders I did once, and I just thought it was pathetic because you can't really hit sponges that far. So obviously I was safe. But you had this tiny bat that basically looked like it opens your shoe for you. And it was just rubbish. Mm-hmm. Okay, you couldn't get any venom on it. By the time we got to field hockey, I remember we had this thing in England called National Sports Day. Mm. Not the school competitive sports day, which is like a mini Olympics. Yeah. This was basically just you did the sport all day oh. for health and fitness. So some people were skipping ropes all day. And we did like different competitive sports so we start off with basketball and then by sort of lunchtime we were playing field hockey we did a day in a gym you know all this stuff so it's actually a week i think it was sports week right so just to set the pace for you my sister who was two years ahead of me in school she had a field hockey stick a slazenger these things are made out of solid wood yeah okay i had an advantage over everyone else who had the school equipment which was like really naff, right? So it was mostly wood, but it was older. Yeah. You know, it's like vintage, even back then. So it meant they hadn't used that stuff uh, since the 1800s. <laughs> now I walk out as the only guy on the field. I guess I got the short straw that day, or the girls trusted me more than most guys. Don't know. But there was definitely a story for it. And I come in, and some girl was like, huh, you'll be rubbish because we've all been playing this all year and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I broke all of their sticks in one game. That's how fierce my wrists are. I'm not making this up. I would jam the thing at the right time because I had sword weapons training from kendo and stuff. And when you strengthen your wrist like a trigger Mm. and you get solid in that second, they'll hit your stick completely shatters theirs. It's the equivalent of like kicking your shin. You see? Yeah. So when it's brittle and you go solid with it, you know, just break everything. I broke pretty much their whole team's stick. So you didn't actually win the game. You oh, just we, we battered them because their... I was the only one who could score. <laughs> okay. And they didn't have any sur- surplus sticks. Mm. So it wasn't my intention, but this is the argument. The moral of this story 
is that there are real reasons for gender-specific sports and you shouldn't have mix-ups. I think you could probably get some really interesting results in contact sports like MMA within reason. Like if you had, say, someone like judo expert like Ronda Rousey against a guy in a similar weight class, should have more traction if that guy was, say, trying to compete with the judo skills. If that guy was a boxer, though, should be screwed. Mm. So, you know, there are rational intergender competitions we can have and stuff. But I think it's interesting because when you are doing these sort of siphon out, you shouldn't have really the girls playing with the guys in rugby or something like that. I don't know. There'd be a lot more uh, children in the world if you did. But I'm just saying, like, I find it's quite an interesting development where you've got women's basketball teams now yeah. nationally accepted football as well mm -hmm. but they're not getting the same platform yeah because it's early days i hope they do yeah i think the female nfl is quite an amazing achievement rugby too and stuff like this there's absolutely no reason that it shouldn't be as entertaining as the guys in fact i think the female world cup in the last couple of years has gained a lot of attention yeah for being so. entertainment do you know what's weird though tennis tennis has always been something everyone university accepts as multi-gender mm. Tennis Absolutely is very equalised. And it's been mixed. You have mixed uh, partnership matches and yeah. stuff like this. So it's interesting, you know. I do think that it's a stretch, though, when people are considering stuff like chess as a sport. Because they are. There was once a pledge to push chess into the Olympics. What about esports? Is that a sport? Well, here's the thing that's interesting about that, all right? I think it's a bit of a farce essentially but at the same time and i'll tell you why i think it's a farce and i'm glad shaq's not here because he'd be like what are you talking about farce but i'm just gonna say this right there is an element to athletics in esports put a pin in that i'll come to that in a second pure sport no way near it there is competition in it sure there's skill set involved definitely but there is a problem with esports a problem that has uh, eclipsed people significantly and that is this their issues with rewiring the coding great example smash brothers has this gimmick where if you shoulder tap you can double dodge step whatever I'm, don't quote me on it because my cousins are now just rolling their eyes and calling me a loser but basically you can cheat the game mm. so if you memorize uh, a way to cheat the game to go in between say on street fight or something like this competitive game like that which is an eSport game, if you can understand the quick combos yeah. and the link-ups, the shortcuts, the unblockables, exactly, the coding, then you've won the game, essentially, all right, because there's a flaw in it, mm -hmm. because games are an imperfection. It's basically like saying if the Olympics was actually ran through an AI simulator, mm -hmm. would it still be the Olympics? The answer is no, because there is coding. Mm -hmm. So it's got rules. Now, rules in real sport are meant to be broken. That's why we have records broken every year. When I say rules, that's the wrong word. You don't have the code restraints of a video game in sports. Yeah, the limitation is human. Yeah, basically esports can be a case where people are taking advantage over the coding faults. Sure. Especially FIFA. Right. FIFA's got loads of those. So people know the sweet spot. Boom, that's where I can always mm -hmm. score a goal. Mm -hmm. There is no skill set in that. Things like For Honor which is trying desperately to compete with a lot of stuff, that is a skill-based game. Things like Call of Duty, and uh, if you don't cheat and go to the respawn points and basically mine, 
has a certain developed kind of skill set to it that you could turn into an esport. But by and large, there's a way you can cheat it because it's coded. Okay, so it's only got the strength of imagination behind it, where athletics, you can have a gymnast coming in, different flavor than you've ever seen before, mm -hmm. completely wild talent, yeah. and blowing your mind. Blood, you know? sweat, and tears. It's like martial arts. Mixed martial arts is a good example. You talk about UFC. There's some guys in the mixed martial art world, and I'm just focused on that because we don't have an alternative, really. Boxing, too where they just develop a body type and a skill set that goes that body type. Mike Tyson's a good example of that, where he's shorter than a lot of guys in reach, but he had so much power in his upper body that he was getting cheap knockouts almost. Yeah, There is skill in that that can't be replicated. You mm. can't actually do that in a video game. The variables, it's almost like consciousness. So where there's athletic talent, I don't think it can emulate into anything coded. So esports in the sense of pure athletics, is it as competitive? No. I think there is a skill set though. When you're talking, a lot of people say there's no benefit to video games, you're just wasting your time. The argument I've always got is actually if you spend time with people who are gamers, it's, it's similar when I was a kid to people who are into rock and roll music or metal or punk, the alternative group basically. Mm -hmm. The alternative status quo. It's still popular, but it's not the considered normal. These people are a lot smarter, a lot more intellectual, a lot more wise at base level than the equivalent people who are just into like trash pop and don't really care. So games this day and age do give you a skill set. They open your mind a lot to cultural stuff as well. If you're playing Japanese games and you're from the UK or US, it opens your mind to a lot of stuff you never knew about. Mm -hmm. they're just the entertainment factor of games but if you're talking sports or competitive games definitely have a skill set for honor is something you can see people coming in who have memorized all the combos off youtube videos but you can still beat them because it's not it's it, it it's a skill-based game and the simple games that are uh you know advanced in their simplicity in a sense you can master and then they are games that are, are worth a look at. Yeah. I mentioned it because you were talking about chess. Yeah. And I think that in terms of the sort of um, variety of what we call sports, they're kind of in the same end. Well, there's, yeah, in a sense, there's a platform. Chess to me is an intellectual strategy game. I'm not sure if intellectual is mm. an athletics game for the mm. Olympics, to be honest. Pool and snooker and stuff like that is really on the fringe for me yeah. between sport darts as well. There's skill set too, but is it really a sport? It's hard. It's really hard. That's where you get into blurred errors. My final point, because we've gone all over the place today, <laughs> but my final point, just to bring from it back to, to a reality though, is when video games, VR, virtual reality really kicks off, becomes very much, um, perfected as a technology i think that will be a massive argument for being an olympic sport hmm. alternative because if you're talking about esports that gets pretty athletic pretty quickly and it, it'll be quite an amazing world to see a esport vr olympic equivalent 
I don't think it should come under the umbrella of Olympics. Yeah, it should be separate. Yeah, like you got the Special Olympics, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, and then the Esport Olympics would be the future. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Could have the same commissions, the same governing body, but it shouldn't be put into the umbrella. I think it's a cop-out. The Olympics is already very crowded. Yeah. I would say there is an argument for a mixed martial arts to be in the Olympics. I think that that could be quite an amazing thing. Hmm. Yeah. All you got to do, this was my final part, I've expanded a bit, but all you got to do is go to the origins of how the UFC formed through the graces and see how that was multi-style competitive in an octagon cage sport. And it really was. You had judo up against BJJ, up against Aikido, up against kickboxing, Muay Thai and all this stuff. It's become a form in itself now sort of emerging standing grappling um you know shoot style and boxing or striking as i like to say it's become a thing in its own right mm. but if you go to the origins of ufc and seeing what the graces like uh, rickson especially and how he started off i mean you had a skinny brazilian lad up against a 300 pound weightlifter and you had real competition then, and it was very very interesting mm. when you're talking about bjj that's intellectual and athletic and that's really like the chess of martial arts essentially mm. so it's kind of like an amazing idea for a cage fighting essentially that would be an amazing thing under the uh, olympic umbrella if you know if you've got like taekwondo and judo already in it and karate now yeah yeah, yeah. wushu as well mm -hmm. uh it would be smart to consider cage fighting hmm. somehow because boxing's been in it for ages yeah you know and uh yeah yeah hopefully australian football what yeah it is brutal i i suggest everyone right now because we've gone from space to football we're going to go to australian football Check out Aussie Rules Football and you'll see some of the gnarliest stuff you've ever imagined in your life. It's mad. Crazy. Okay. It's what happens when you create an entire uh, culture of people from uh, your, your uh, convicts. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And on that bombshell. And on that note, uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, with no lockdown. Well... What would us, uh, the re-emerging of the world, we'll call it. But we'll see what happens. Stay safe, stay strong, and we'll see you this time next week.